Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tennessee Orange will take over Nashville on Saturday as the Vols open the season against Virginia in an 11 o'clock local time kickoff in Nashville. That's 12 Eastern. Watch the Tennessee, maybe, probably, open the season with a win and then uh, celebrate out on at the Honky Talks. That would be the ideal situation for Vols fans. Welcome in to the Volunteer State. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside Adam Sparks and John Adams of the Knoxville News Sentinel. Guys, the Vols are a 28-and-a-half-point favorite. I mentioned you can head out to the bars afterwards. Judging by that line, you could head out at halftime. Is it going to be that easy for Tennessee? I know Virginia wasn't very good last year. Yeah, I mean, so much of this is – part of it's Virginia was not good last year. I think a lot of this, too, is that um, – People feel like it's the norm now that Tennessee will score 50 points against mediocre competition, uh, you know, because they, they did it last year. Obviously, they were the highest scoring offense in the country, but they were, they were scoring about 40 points a game in, in the first year under Josh Heupel. And that was sort of piecemeal together, that offense. They didn't have all the personnel. They hadn't been together and still they were scoring a ton of points. So it's kind of a given that Tennessee's going to score 50. Now we, we can talk about how that could maybe not happen because of what you're having to piece together and some guys out and all that. But uh, that's why that line is so big. It's that they just figure that Tennessee's offense can sort of uh, uh, pick a score and get to it. Yeah. Blake and I talked about it on our uh, SEC podcast media, as you said, Adam, mediocre teams, Tennessee just can overwhelm and just keep scoring. Virginia had a, horrible offense last year, Tony Elliott's first season. And it really doesn't look much better on paper this year. Got a quarterback from Monmouth. Repeat that. A quarterback from Monmouth is now your starter. So I I don't think that bears further analysis. Tony Musket, right? That's that's the one. Monmouth quarterback. Monmouth, yeah. Yeah, you Uh, I mean so many Teams are starting transfers these days, but normally when you're a Power Five program, you're hoping to get another Power Five quarterback or maybe, uh, you know, a group of five all-conference performer. You're reaching pretty deep into the well, I feel like, when you're getting your starting quarterback from Monmouth. What do you what do you know about Tony Musket, Adam? What's in store in store for the Vols defense there from the Rifleman? Uh, almost nothing. He can. <laughs> <laughs> almost. I didn't say nothing. I said almost nothing. Uh, he, he actually is a little bit of a dual threat. He, he can run and throw. Uh, I, well, I'll, I'll tell you this. In, in my answer, where I said almost nothing, uh, earlier today we had a Josh Hopple um, in the press conference, and he was asked about uh, uh, about the quarterback. And then Tim Banks, the defensive coordinator for UT, was asked the same question a few days ago. And both of their answers was also almost nothing. <laughs> It was no disrespect to that player, uh, to that quarterback, uh, but you can tell they're sort of focused on on them. And 
I'll, I'll say all that to say I'm very focused on <laughs> on Tennessee. Are, are uh, they already game planning for like an yeah. October 14th game against Texas A&M or something? Is yeah, I mean, here's the thing is that Virginia's offense will be, I think, actually uh, better uh, than it was last year in terms of just uh, having an identity. Uh, everything that I saw in Virginia last year, they just didn't know what they were. Um, so I, I think the offense could be a little better. Uh, it's going to be a Tennessee crowd. It'll be an orange crowd. So they'll they'll have that against them. Uh, they have the new quarterback. They'll have that against them. I actually think Tennessee's defense is going to play reasonably well in this game. Um, I, I think there's a chance Tennessee's defense could look better than its offense at times in this game. Um, so if Tennessee does win by the line that that's predicted that they'll do it, I think it'll be more balanced. I don't think it's it's because Tennessee will necessarily just score fifty. I think the defense is going to play uh, play pretty well. Uh, at today's press conference, we uh, on Monday you had. Uh... Danico Slaughter and Aaron Beasley, two defensive players uh, for the Vols. And one of them, I forgot which one, was asked about uh, Virginia's quarterback, and they said he's a good decision maker. So that's something to hang your hat on. And and Adams called him a dual threat guy, sort of a dual threat guy. Run our, You know, is it really when you think about it, everybody is a dual threat guy? I mean, you can run. A, a little bit, you can run and you can throw the ball. So essentially, you're a dual threat guy. I don't know, you John. Be, you, can that. Tri- you can be a triple threat if you, uh, <laughs> if you pitch the ball. That's what Georgia Tech did for years. After covering the Jarrett Garantano era, there is such a thing as a zero threat quarterback as well. So, yeah, I don't know if everybody's a dual threat. Some, some are fortunate to be a, a one threat. Well, Adam, you mentioned that Tennessee's focus is, is on them. Uh, doing what what they do, so let's let's turn the attention away from Virginia specifically, and uh, put the mirror on Tennessee. What are some things that we think we we need to see from Tennessee in this opener? If Tennessee is going to have you know a big encore season to what was the the best Tennessee season in twenty plus years last year, what sort of signs? Do you think we need to see right out of the gates here Saturday? Well, I think you have to take the season in stages. And for them to get out of the first month unscathed, um, they're, they're going to have to beat Florida. We know that's the, the first big game that will be coming up as long as they can uh, survive this one. Um, and it, what tells me that they're going to be okay at Florida is if the center, center position is filled adequately, if they're efficient on offense – a lot is, is being said about Cooper Mays this week, and he, he had a medical procedure. He's been out of practice. They listed him on the depth chart as the starter. I don't think he's going to be available to play. I don't think they're going to say one way or another publicly before the game, but that, that's a critical position. Um, it's, not just, it's not just an offensive lineman. Cooper Mays makes that offense go. Um, their tempo you would think is going to be slower with that Cooper Mays out there. Their their efficiency is not going to be good. They're not going to uh, pass protect as well with him not out there. And so if Ollie Lane, who is probably going to be the guy to fill in at center, if he can go in and keep them on time at least in, in terms of their tempo and the offense can run efficiently, then you can say, okay, with or without Cooper Mays, they could be okay at Florida. And if you win at Florida, then you're talking about – then you get Cooper Mays uh, th- then Cooper Mace is at full strength, either that game or after that. And then you can start talking about a top 10 team again. I know the rank that now, but uh, there's so much on how they replace Cooper Mays in this game. 
And uh, and if they can't replace him, that's going to be a, a big problem. And we're basically going to ask for the next two weeks, is he going to be OK against Florida? Is he going to be back for Florida? Um, so I, and, and I don't know the answer to that. I think Ollie Lane will be serviceable. But even with that, you're taking your guard and moving him to center. Then you're plugging in a guy that wasn't supposed to be starting at guard. You got it, a guy that wasn't starts to, supposed to be playing at center. Uh, and you've got a new tackle. There's a lot of things that could go wrong on that offensive line. I just want to see the offense run efficiently and fast. Well, Josh Heupel will not offer any clues on injury because today he was talking about, well, I just kind of look at it later in the week. I don't think – I think Adam's right. There's no chance Cooper Mays is playing this week or next week, and we don't even know if he'll play against Florida because, you know, we've heard it before where somebody – well, he's – He'll kind of out indefinitely or, you know, week by week we'll check and guy just disappears. So it's interesting, though, with the number one scoring team in the country based on last year, uh, that going into an opener that the center is a big topic of discussion. You don't have many. There aren't many podcasts that are geared around a a center. (laughs) But that, I mean, it's it's fair to do that. Well, I, I, I'll uh, I'll steer things away from the center then, and, and throw out one more. Um, something I think I need to see to believe that Tennessee is uh, is is prime for a big encore is pass coverage. Right now, we we talked about how Virginia has the transfer quarterback from Monmouth, and Virginia was one of the worst passing offenses in the ACC last year. They were one of the worst offenses, period. And that also applied to their pass game. So a lockdown performance by Tennessee's secondary does not necessarily tell me that Tennessee is going to be locking down SEC pass games. However, the opposite of that, I think, would be concerning. You know, if Virginia comes out on Saturday in Nashville and throws for 300 yards, then that tells me that this is going to be a lingering problem. It was the softest part of Tennessee's team last year was his pass defense. And so, no, shutting down Virginia won't tell me all of a sudden the Vols have the number one defense in the land. It will, t- will tell me there's a chance that that unit could be improved this year. And it would be concerning if Virginia lights up that secondary in week one. Yeah, I don't think they're going to be – I don't think Tim Banks, the D coordinator, is going to be as concerned with passing yards allowed. I think he'll be concerned of how they're allowed and when they're allowed. Um, you know, we, we, we've talked about this before, but we do have in, in, in our minds that somehow the defense was bad last year. Well, they gave up 400 passing yards in like three or four different games. They were near the worst in pass defense in the country, yes, but – the Clemson game was a defensive win. The Kentucky game was a defensive win. LSU game, to some extent, was a defensive win. Vandy was a shutout. There were three or four games last year that Tennessee's defense was just as integral to the win as, as, as their offense. And the games that they did that in, they were okay giving up yards if they had to, but they were bringing the house. Um, they were aggressive. They got in the backfield. They took chances. They were risky. And uh, I asked Aaron Beasley about that today and asked him to describe the identity of this defense. And he said, uber aggressive. And I think that's true. Sometimes they got burned last year doing that, especially look at the South Carolina game. Um, But other games, it it worked out like the games that I mentioned. And Virginia may throw for some yards in this game. um, But I think it's it's sacks, it's TFLs, it's quarterback hurries. 
it's turnovers and those sort of things uh, that they're going to be that that Tennessee is going to aim for more than just what the passing yards give up, how many passing yards they give up. I think if Monmouth uh, transfer quarterback Tony Musket throws for two touchdowns, somebody on the defensive staff should have a panic attack. I think that would be that would be a really bad sign. Yeah, and aggressive or not aggressive against conference opponents last year, the only pass defense in the SEC that was worse than Tennessee's was Vanderbilt. And you can look at it any way you want to, like yards allowed, completion percentage, opponents were completing a high percentage of their pass, quarterback rating, quarterbacks, SEC quarterbacks had a great rating against Tennessee, touchdown to interception radio, I mean ratio, I mean whatever category you want and to the point of the aggressive defense, that might have been a, a winning strategy at times last year. But you take Byron Young off that pass rush, and I question whether you're going to be able to hang your hat on that as much this year. And Yeah, against LSU, Byron Young had two and a half sacks, had, had two sacks against Clemson. If you told me there was another Byron Young running around out there, then maybe, maybe I, I'd think, okay, they can paper over the, the pass defense a little bit. But Shy of producing another him, I think that unit has to be better. Well, and I wonder if there's any factor in this game of uh, of the the continuously running clock. Um, I'm trying to remember all the different clock rules we have, but it's some incomplete passes. You can you can you, the clock will still run. Um, well, anyway, the the from the first week games, uh, the week zero games, the I think possessions were squeezed a little bit. There were fewer possessions. Um, I don't think that's going to affect Tennessee that much on offense, but I think it could affect the other side of the ball where Virginia will try to – if they get a first down, they're going to milk it more than they would have otherwise because they're trying to take away at least a possession from Tennessee. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if that comes into play. Um, and if, if it does, that means Tennessee's defense is going to have to be much better on third down um, than than they were at times last year. They were solid last year, but not not as good as they should be. Um, they're going to have to be good on third down so they can get the ball back to their offense so they can run up the score. If you don't have enough possessions, you're not going to be uh, get up into the 40s and 50s, and that's going to rely as much on defense getting off the field as it will the offense. When you go back to Tennessee's defensive struggles last year, they also they invariably were against really good quarterbacks. I mean, they had some decent games defensively, but the really good quarterbacks, Spencer Rattler, Bryce Young, uh, Rich Anthony Richardson at Florida. I'm missing somebody. Uh, well, Stetson Bennett before they shut down the offense. All those guys, guys just destroyed Tennessee's defense. So I don't think we can learn much from the defense against Virginia because the offense is just so lacking in talent, uh, experience too. That you know, if you pitch a shutout against a, uh, a Tony Musket led offense. I don't think that turns heads. The, the The problem we have to look at in a game like this, too, is if Tennessee wins by a, a considerable margin, this and really the Austin P game both, we're going to have these narratives, and you guys know as well as I do, we're going to have narratives that come out of this game that don't necessarily translate to SEC games later on. So, you know, it's going to be – um, Tennessee's going to get enough sacks that you're going to say, okay, well, Byron Young, lost Byron Young, looks like they've replaced him. Um, they're going to have a lot of guys playing the secondary. So they're going to say, hey, that secondary is getting a lot better. And look how deep it is. There's a difference between depth and good depth. Um, 
Joe Milton is going to throw the ball well to at least three, four, five receivers because they will roll some other guys in if the score gets out of hand. And so then we're going to say, well, it looks like this receiving core has expanded more. Um, and so there's going to be a lot of narratives. I'm just warning fans that there's going to be a lot of narratives that come out of this game that may hold, but there's as many that probably will not hold by the time they get to SEC play. These these games, these early season games and non-conference can get a little squirrely in that way. We've seen elsewhere in the SEC, we'll see some marquee games. LSU, Florida State tops the list. South Carolina playing North Carolina. You got uh, Florida playing Utah. This is, I guess you could call it, Tennessee's marquee non-conference game. Tennessee was originally scheduled to play BYU on the road. This They canceled that game. This, this game takes its place. You have to go back quite a ways, I think, to find a marquee non-conference opponent as weak as this one for Tennessee. I mean, maybe you could say that 2000. 17 season with Georgia Tech that actually wound up being a fantastic game is one of the best games of the, the season as it turned out neither Georgia Tech nor Tennessee were very good that year we just didn't know that in week one but you know there's real no denying that that Virginia is one of the probably one of the weaker teams in the ACC it certainly was last year is there any I guess potential backfiring for Tennessee starting the season with an opponent like this? Would they be better served by playing, say, like a North Carolina, like South Carolina is doing by playing a Utah? Or is this all upside for Tennessee because barring a disaster, they're not losing this game. So despite the fact they may not get tested in week one, they're better off this way. Yeah, they need a running start into the season and they don't need a roadblock into the season. And, uh, I, I like I like this this level of opponent. I actually like this level of opponent for Tennessee in just about any year. A power five, a a low end power five team. Um, you know, I mean, if you play a really good group of five team, you could get beat um, because really good group of five teams are better than lower end power five teams. Uh, in this case, they're going to play a lower end power five team. It's somebody that has has some name recognition. They're in the ACC. Um, you can get a good solid win. You can feel good about yourself and you can make mistakes in the opener and not get beat because of it. Um, there's so much momentum that's coming from last season, but then I think, I think there are reasonable questions about how guys are replaced on this roster that, that you need a, an adequate opponent that you can, you can win and still make mistakes. And I think that's, that's the level that they have in Virginia. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, yeah, the last thing Tennessee would want to do is open with the North Carolina and quarterback Drake May. Uh, you, you don't want to test your your new secondary against him. Uh, so I think this is the way to go. And it looks better when you you win against a, a lower-end Power 5 team, as Adam put it, as opposed to if you're playing a MAC opponent. I actually think UConn, and Texas San Antonio will give Tennessee a tougher game than Virginia will. Yeah, UTSA may be ranked when Tennessee plays them. If they win their opener, they'll they'll, they'll probably be ranked when they come to Knoxville. And, and Connecticut, Jim Morrow Jr. is a really good coach. Uh, so I just and he made headway there last year. I I just think Virginia is awful. Isn't it funny too that we're talking about Tennessee? I think we're all thinking this, Blake. When you pitch that out of maybe they could be playing like a top fifteen team or something early on. 
like like Florida State and LSU are doing. When we're answering that question, we're thinking through, well, they don't want to get tripped up because if you lose a game early like that, you're probably taking yourself out of out of out of the playoffs. You're probably taking you're possibly taking yourself out of a New Year's Eve bowl or a New Year's Day bowl and a New Year's Six bowl like they like they went to last year. And that's realistic now for Tennessee. Now I don't know if Tennessee is going to go eleven and one, ten and two, nine and three, eight and four. Probably one of those. Um, but I, but all those records are reasonable to think about, and uh, that's different than what they were the season before. Certainly, two seasons before, you would say, well, if they lose a non-conference game, that just means it's going to hurt. You know, whether they're going to a a six-win bowl or a seven-win bowl. Now we think of well, they can't lose early because if they lose early, they'll get bumped out of the top ten. Or when the when the college football playoff rankings come out, they're not going to be in it if they lose early. They've got to win out so that when they get to the Alabama game, they're undefeated. Those are all legitimate thoughts right now, and I think that kind of shows where this program has gone in the last year. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I have much pushback on on, on what you guys are saying as much as I would, you know, just from a, uh, I guess a watching the game perspective, I'd, I'd like to see probably a better opponent because I think it'd be more compelling. But from the Tennessee perspective, I don't really have much pushback there. I think what you guys are saying is, is probably true that Tennessee's better off playing a Virginia than say a Florida state. I wonder though, if this conversation changes a little bit when the 12 team playoff is here, because the 14 playoff combined with new year's six, it's all about losing the fewest games possible. Right. I, I do wonder like when the 12 team playoff, you might have three, four, maybe even five sec teams making the playoff field in a particular year and if you're putting your resume up, let's say Tennessee uh, and another SEC team finished the year with the, the same record, they're vying for the last at-large spot, and the other SEC team you know, played a ranked Power 5 opponent and Tennessee um, you know, beat the helmets off Virginia by 30 points, but Virginia goes 2-10 and 10 this year or something. I, I do think the conversation might change a little bit when the 12-team playoffs here and we're having these strength of schedule debates. But as far as the four-team playoff goes, and and you even combine the New Year's Six, it really just is about losing as few games as possible for the most part. And so I agree with you guys. I I don't think there's a huge, we're, we're really any downside for Tennessee opening up with an opponent like Virginia. Well, I think when we go to a 12-team playoff, I think you're going to have trial and error uh, similar to what you get in the NCAA basketball tournament of scheduling changes like every three or four years. How do you approach it? And so there could be a time in that with approaching it in the way that you're talking about, you need to schedule one really good non-conference to boost your, your resume at the end of the year. But then the flip side of that, and this is, I think how it will start more in the 12 team playoff era is that you will schedule lighter because you know, your conference schedule is probably what you're going to lean on mostly. Uh, Especially if the sec uh, once, if the sec conference schedule gets expanded, you're going to get to the playoff based on what you do in conference, not out of conference. And I, so I think most teams will shy away from scheduling uh, tough opponents out of conference. Blake, do you think Tennessee could have found an easier power five non-conference matchup opponent? Yeah, who's Virginia? Northwestern? Who's Northwestern playing for their uh, power five? Not they got Duke. I just pulled it up. Northwestern's got the got the Dukies. Yeah, you could have so, scheduled Northwestern and probably found a weaker opponent there maybe maybe one or two others but the list gets 
pretty short pretty quickly, I, I think. We're really discounting Virginia. Uh, <laughs> yeah, put it on the right. bulletin board. Yeah, I, I rightfully so, Adam. They, I mean. they, do have, they do have some pieces coming back on defense, and they were decent in the portal. And I'll, I'll just speak up for the Cavaliers here. I think they can be competitive defensively. And I, I don't know. If, I mean, a year later, their offense will be – you know, maybe they're adequate. I actually think they'll be competitive on defense. I, Adam, I, don't I got think the uh, preseason media poll in front of me uh, for whatever it's worth in the 14 team ACC. Virginia was picked to finish 14th and it wasn't close. The, uh, the number, the number 13 team had almost twice as many voting points as Virginia. So they were, they were pretty solidly 14th on most of those, those ballots, I'd say, but you know, maybe, maybe the media is just sleeping on, on the cavies. Well, I've got an Athlon's preseason magazine here, and where do you think it had Virginia and the ACC? Solidly 14th. Solidly 14th, yeah. But, Adam, I appreciate Virginia I'm fans trying. will appreciate I know, but I, I admire that counterpoint. They're com- the, they could be competitive on defense. Se- season it's- openers also are, are quirky. And okay. th- this, is good. this is not going to be in Neyland. <laughs> this would be in Nashville. All I'm saying is I don't think it's going to be 28 nothing at the end of the first quarter. How it might be 35 nothing at the end of the first quarter. <laughs> hey, how many Adam? How many Virginia fans will travel to Nashville for this game? Mm, yeah, not, not many, not many. Yeah, I mean this will this will be this will be all you're, orange. You're, you're fighting a lonely a lonely march here. <laughs> oh like, to... yeah, he's like he's like at the Alamo waving a well, flag. Well, this is and... the okay. This is the typical. You guys have experienced this before. Um, I've been a college beat writer for uh, what twenty years, something like that. And when you get to there's stages in fall camp that you go through where you you look at the team you're covering and say this team's gonna be pretty good and. Uh, they plug this hole and that hole, and I saw this guy at practice, and this guy looks bigger, and and all this sort of stuff. And then you go through a latter stage of fall camp, and when you get to game week, you start to those same things start to sandbag in your mind. Well, I don't, I don't know. It, Cooper Mays, and yeah, you know, the last game they did beat Clemson in the Orange Bowl, but you know they punted like seven times that game. The offense was 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 good. It wasn't great, which by the way is the truth. Um, you know they got. The secondary wasn't very good last year. Um, you know, the opener two years ago against Bowling Green, they did not come out well. Uh, that was a close game at the half. You, you start to think through these things of what could go wrong more than what could go right. So I, I, I suppose that's where my thinking is. I'm, I'm in the sandbag, uh, the team that I cover uh, this, close to, uh, this close to game time. Adam, you raised a question with our audience when you said you've been covering this for 20 years. College football, not yeah, I know, but people, yeah, I know, but people look at you and think you're 25. So I just want to explain that you look really young for your age. You you weren't covering college games when you were five years old. Maybe 25 as compared to you, John. I I don't think I'd put Adam at 25. (laughs) Press box in the third grade, John. That's that's accurate. Uh, Yeah, Adam, I I I hear what you're saying there. I, I did some of the same stuff on on the beat. You get close to the season after seeing a team all all preseason and you start to see all their flaws all and you the notice them. Yep. Yeah. I imagine though if you were covering Virginia's preseason <laughs> camp coming off the heels of uh, Virginia's last game last year. Uh, you mentioned how many times uh Tennessee had to punt against Clemson. Last time out Virginia, uh, they lost by 30 points to Pittsburgh. 
Okay. Uh, okay. You, <laughs> you're convincing do, me. Do you think Tennessee studied film of Monmouth from last year, a video from Monmouth? I think they referenced that, I think, today, didn't they, John? Or maybe maybe Tim Banks said that. Uh, I, well, Somebody I didn't stick around for I'd heard enough before Tim Banks showed up, so I, I didn't know. But you usually do that if it's a quarterback from a but Monmouth. I I assume they they video their games. They're on YouTube. I'm sure they're on YouTube. Okay. Right. Yes, yeah, so one of the seven fans that show up to that game. I think he had like a little Coca Cola size camera. And they've probably been breaking down all that film all off season. Well, we've provided plenty of bulletin board material for Virginia. Uh, Adam was fighting the good fight, and uh, we'll we'll see uh, if, if Virginia can live up to the test. Tennessee, 28.5-point favorite. That kickoff will be Saturday in Nashville. You can find the coverage throughout the week and on game day from Adam over at KnoxNews.com. John will have the commentary throughout the week and at the buzzer, and we will be back with you next week. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Volunteer State. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.